The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org give. A reading from Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, indeed, Merry Christmas uh, to all of you. It's wonderful to worship the Lord on his, this day we celebrate his birth. I don't know if you know this, it won't happen again for 11 years. It's a uh, six, five, six, 11 rhythm. Uh, you learn those things when you're a pastor. So 2033, we'll be back on a Sunday morning to celebrate the Lord's birth. It's an honor to be here celebrating together with you as we receive gifts of all kinds, maybe today. Uh, I want to give thanks this morning, uh, particularly to the gift of our worship and music staff and our choir. Um, to adjust after yesterday morning with the news of Joshua Knight and his stroke uh, was really an honor to watch, to watch Joy uh, move to the organ and uh, for all the parts that you have all played during this Christmas Advent season, uh, we are so blessed. One of the greatest gifts we have is our uh, worship and music staff and all the choir. So thank you so much. You have brought joy uh, to our hearts this season and you have made us very glad in Christ. So thank you and I'm very, very thankful. I do wanna pray as we begin this morning for Joshua our dear friend, our beloved organist who is, we're asking God, I wanna invite you to ask God to restore every faculty of that man's brain because we need all of it. His hands, his feet, his mind that helps us enter into the presence of God. So will you join me now as I pray for that and for the reading and preaching of God's word. Father, you are with us and now you are with us by your spirit and we ask now that your spirit would come upon Joshua Knight, 
and do a complete thorough healing work. Take the entirety of his brain, all of his being, his faculties, his fingers, his toes, his feet, his hands, his arms, all of him and heal him today, we pray. It is our humble request, Lord, you have given us a great gift in Joshua. It's our desire to keep enjoying that gift as he helps us enjoy you. So today, would you draw near to he and Roberta, comfort them with the hope of Christmas, and bring full healing to Joshua in every way. Father, as we're here today to worship you, we pray now that you would take a text that's familiar and make it fresh. We pray that you would take a text that somehow sometimes can be sentimental at most and make it convicting and challenging. Would you change us through the preaching of your word? And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, one of my, well, excuse me, my all-time favorite movie is It's a Wonderful Life. No matter what season, it's the greatest. In that film, George Bailey, you remember, often finds himself in dilemma after dilemma after dilemma. He saves his brother who falls into icy water, but it comes at the cost of losing the hearing in one of his ears. You may remember he saves Mr. Gower's career by choosing not to deliver the medicine that Gower had filled because his eyes were tear-filled over the loss of his son, and he saved Mr. Gower's career by not delivering the poison, but it was a dilemma. George wanted to travel the world. He wanted to go to college. He, he wanted to leave that old building alone, but his father suddenly dies, and he faces the dilemma of staying and serving the modest building and loan company by his generous father. The greatest dilemma of the movie is towards the end, where George is at the end of his rope. He's in absolute despair and he's hopeless. And then there is a defining moment. An angel named Clarence appears and jumps in the water. Clarence the angel then would bring to George Bailey revelation, truth, perspective and show George how life might look without him. And it is that timely, let us say, quote, heavenly revelation of this angel that changes everything for George and sends him back renewed with joy and gratitude for his life. This morning in our text, Joseph faces an incredible unthinkable dilemma. His betrothed wife is with child and their marriage has not yet been completed or consummated. That is a dilemma. He's perplexed, he's troubled. And the defining moment in this story will be also the revealing grace of God through an angel, but a real angel, a true heavenly angel. The real angel sent from the true heavenly court to reveal truth and hope that will change everything for Joseph and send him in a whole new way. So let's first look at Joseph's dilemma. When you begin to read in verse 18, it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Now you have to understand the meaning of betrothal. 
To be betrothed is far more than what we understand to be engaged. Betrothal in that time is not the same as our concept of a marital engagement. It was a far more final and permanent state. You, to be betrothed, you had to pledge to be married before witnesses, and to break such a, a betrothal required a divorce, a legal act. If you were betrothed, you were considered as man and wife, though you had not yet been married and enjoyed all the benefits of marriage, though you had not yet consummated the marriage and come under one roof, you were bound to one another until that time. And so the text tells us that Mary has been betrothed to Joseph. It's a legal binding relationship, not just something you could break off easily. And it says that she had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Joseph and Mary have not yet consummated their relationship, and yet she is with child by the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more in a minute on that miracle as the angel reveals the nature of it, but I hope you see that this certainly creates quite the dilemma for Joseph. It says she was found, and it says to be with child. When she was found to be with child, she was found. What does that mean? Did Joseph discover it when it became physically unmistakable? Did they have a terribly awkward conversation? Uh, Joseph, I'm pregnant, and it's the Holy Spirit's. That's quite a dilemma for a man named Joseph looking, a young man. Uh, consider from his view, Joseph only knows what he sees. He only knows what he knows. And he knows they have not enjoyed union physically. And so he, in his only limited thought, must think this is infidelity. And if it's infidelity, it's scandalous. In the Old Testament, if a betrothed woman was found in adultery, she was subject to stoning. Now, although that practice was not occurring in Israel during Joseph's time, Mary still could have been publicly disgraced and expelled from the community. And can you imagine Joseph's pain and confusion? And yet the text says, and her husband, Joseph, verse 19, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Matthew tells us that Joseph was a righteous man. At least what that means is that he understood and knew the law. And in understanding the law, he understood that it was legally acceptable and also virtually unavoidable for him to divorce Mary. Because he was righteous, he decided to not do it in a public way, but quietly. After all, if you're Joseph, if he remains in the marriage, he was admitting guilt that somehow he was involved in this pregnancy. He would be submitting himself to unjust shame. But if he went open and public, he would submit Mary to shame and she would be the outcast. So he's caught in this terrible dilemma and admirably, he determines a quiet release. Now to our eye and to Matthew's note, it's a very compassionate plan based completely on logic and sight. 
I want to stop and apply some truths to us as we consider Joseph's dilemma. You and I naturally live only by what we see. Left alone without the ability to see a reality that is hidden and yet true, we're often too confused and easily troubled. Joseph seemingly honorably maneuvers his dilemma in a way that we think, well done, Joseph. You did that about as well as you could have. And yet, however well-intentioned he is, he's wrong because he doesn't understand what's true. You know you can do a lot of things that seem right, but they're wrong because you haven't enjoyed revelation of what's true. If you and I are to truly do right, we must have the revelation of God because left to ourselves, We'll only live by logic and sight, and we may even do some things that look righteous, but they'll be wrong. The story of Christmas, as we're gonna see, is a story of the revealing grace of God for his people, that he doesn't leave us alone just to our sight. He doesn't leave us alone just to our logic. He reveals himself to us. And so Joseph, in his dilemma, is in a quandary because he doesn't yet have the revelation of the truth. And so his defining moment, much like George Bailey when Clarence shows up, is this moment in verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold an angel. The defining moment of Joseph's life is now that this angel shows up. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now, before we consider what is revealed to Joseph, let's just stop and consider that God reveals to Joseph. It's it's an amazing gift of grace to him. He doesn't deserve it. God in his grace and kindness reveals himself to Joseph. And after all, the story of Christmas tells us over and over that every one of us, we are all at the mercy of God's revealing grace. Consider Mary at the mercy of God's revealing grace. Consider Joseph here. Consider the shepherds at the mercy of God's revealing grace as the heavens open up and announce to them what they would never have known. Consider the Magi at the mercy of God's revealing grace. Consider Simeon. He's at the mercy of God's revealing grace. At the heart of the incarnation is the mercy of God's revealing grace. To people who without it would only have what we can think and see. We would be stuck in our dilemmas. And so I say to all of us today on Christmas morn, Unless God opens your eyes to see, unless he opens your ears to hear, unless he opens your heart to receive, you'll be stuck in your dilemma. And your dilemma is probably worse than you even imagine, as we'll see in the Revelation. So what does God reveal in this defining moment as he comes near to Joseph? Well, the first thing he does is say his name, verse 20. Joseph, son of David. 
That's a royal address. It's as if the angel is trying to shake him out of his confusion and trouble and say, Joseph, remember the line and the lineage that you stand in. Joseph, let's get real clarity. You're a part of a royal line with with real hope and a real kingdom that's coming to earth. Joseph, son of David, should alarm Joseph to, I may have a role to play in the coming of this kingdom and the fulfillment of this promise to David. And then he says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You have to know that Joseph at that point had to say to himself, that helps. That heavenly revelation and confirmation of what Mary had told, that was a help, thank you. Because that was the craziest thing I'd ever heard. She said she was with child by the Holy Spirit. But you, angel of the Lord, called me Joseph, son of David, and you told me that's true. But you told me, do not be afraid. You see, the revelation of God will always cut to the heart of your fears. It'll always go right at what you're assuming by your sight and cut to your fears. He is graciously reoriented to what is true. Mary is not a case of infidelity. She's a carrier of glory. And he would not have known that but for the revealing grace of God. But even consider that statement, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, the incarnation, the miracle of the incarnation a conception that is miraculous, a work of the creative Holy Spirit in the virgin's womb. Think about this. Connect this with the entire story. The spirit that comes upon Mary to conceive the Savior from an empty womb is the same spirit that hovered over the creation in the deep. And that which was void out of that hovering of the Spirit saw life come. That which happened in the beginning in Genesis is now happening in a new Genesis. When you read verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ, that's literally now the Genesis of Jesus Christ. This is a new Genesis. And yet the Spirit comes not over the deep, but comes over a virgin's womb and brings a son. Don't miss this this Christmas. What does this miracle teach us? You and I learn quickly from the very outset of Jesus' life and from the miracle of the Holy Spirit this. It is never human initiative that brings Jesus into your life. It is always the work of the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit brought Jesus into Mary, and it is the Holy Spirit that can bring Jesus into your life. It is no work of human hands. It is, as we call, a miracle that sinners receive a holy God and his son named Jesus and are washed clean. Just as Mary could not have borne a child in her own rights as a virgin, she needed the work of the Spirit so also for us. If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. Because just as the Spirit hovered over the deep and the Spirit hovered over Mary's womb, the Spirit comes into our hearts and makes us alive. The Holy Spirit gives creative life, and that's at the heart of the miracle of incarnation. But why? Why is this miracle necessary? Let's let Charles Haddon Spurgeon answer that this morning. He said there was no other way of his being born. For had he been born of a sinful father, how could he have possessed a sinless nature? He is born of a woman that he might be human, but not by man, that he might not be sinful. Simply put, all of God must enter all of man to do all that God requires and to bear all that is wrong. The incarnation of Jesus ensures this, that he's not infected with sin, but he's not isolated from us. Those are two simultaneous wonderful truths. He is not infected with sin, but he is not isolated from us. He has come near. He became what he had never been while continuing to be what he had always been. God in the flesh for us. And the Holy Spirit says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then, as is most appropriate with births, the issue of names comes up. What are you going to name the child? Think about it. Who is given the task to name a child? It's the parents. Well, who names the child here? God. It's his son. And just as we as parents reach for names that have meaning or some significance, God names this child with great significance. Look at the two names given. The first in verse 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Jesus. What's so significant about that name? Well, to understand it, let me tell you about another person named Joshua. Joshua is the Hebrew form of Jesus, meaning Yahweh saves. So think about Joshua. He led the people into the land. He overcame the enemies of God's people, though the enemies of God's people were many, though they were very strong with cities walled to heaven with chariots of iron. In the name of Yahweh, Joshua smote them and led God's people into the land and conquered the enemies. Joshua is a figure of conquest against all of God's enemies. And God says, name him Jesus, because he's the greater Joshua, the one in the womb is the greater Joshua who will what? Conquer our 
enemies. But I want you to notice, it says, name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. What's the greatest enemy? The greatest enemy is not, it's not a foreign oppressor as maybe the people of Israel would have thought, but instead it is sin and death. You see, the Jews were looking for a savior with the expectation that he might break the yoke of Rome and save them again from the bondage of another foreign power. What they wanted is a Messiah that would come and deal with their enemy's sins. And the angel says, no, let's name him Jesus because he's gonna save his people from their sins. Jesus, the greater Joshua, comes not to save us politically from enemies or from our enemy sins, but from our sins, which are our greatest enemy as they separate us from a holy God. And through the victory of his atoning blood and sacrificial work on the cross, the greater Joshua conquers the enemy of sin and death for his people. So name him Jesus. He's the greater Joshua. In, in one episode of a TV uh, show called The West Wing, there's two guys that are having a fascinating conversation, Leo and Josh. One of them tells this story. He says, this guy's walking down the street when he falls in a hole. The walls are so steep he cannot get out. A doctor passes by and the guy shouts up, hey you, can you help me out? And the doctor writes a prescription and throws it down in the hole. Then the priest comes by. He says, hey, can you help me out? Father, I'm down in this hole, can you help me? And hey, Joe, he says, oh yeah, I'll write you a prayer and throw it down there and see if that helps. But then his friend walks by. Hey, Joe, it's me, can you help me out? And Joe jumps in the hole. His friend says, are you stupid? What'd you do that for? Now we're both down here. And Joe looked at his friend and said, I know the way out of here. That's the greater Joshua. He jumped down here in this hole, this mess of sin and misery, and said, I know the way out. And it was through his sacrificial death on the cross. He came down to lift us up by his life and death. He is the greater Joshua. So name him Jesus. Call him Jesus. He saves you from your sin. There's another name that's connected. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Now we're quoting Isaiah chapter seven. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So there's a connection to the name Emmanuel as well as to the greater Joshua. So Emmanuel. Now that citation of Isaiah seven, I must say is, is largely and usually misunderstood. Because the place where that is cited in Isaiah 7, listen for just a moment, come with me to some Old Testament history because it's going to mean something. In Isaiah 7, the king of Judah by the name of Ahaz is met by Isaiah the prophet. And Isaiah the prophet is calling Ahaz, as you face this army, this threat of the other empires of this world, Isaiah's message is trust God, trust God, trust God. Don't make a deal. Trust God. Because if Ahaz will trust God, God will deliver him. But if Ahaz looks elsewhere, he will fail and fall. 
And God graciously says, I'm even glad as you seek to trust me, I'm even glad to give you a sign. I'll give you a sign. Do you want a sign? And Ahaz says no. Because he has no intention to trust God. Instead, Ahaz determines he will make an alliance with Assyria because the powers of this world look more appealing to him than the God who reveals himself. And so then God gives Ahaz an unwanted sign. And that's the quotation. Behold, the virgin or a maiden will conceive and bear a son and they'll call his name Emmanuel. That prophecy was fulfilled right there because a child is born to a young maiden and the prophecy goes on in Isaiah 7 to say, before that child is of moral maturity, you're gonna be wiped out by the people you're about to ally with. That sign of a child is actually now a sign of judgment against Ahaz because he refused it. Now, come all the way to Isaiah 9. He promises a child. Another child will come and be present with his people and he will be present and his name will be Emmanuel, Matthew says. Matthew takes that story of Isaiah 7 of a son born as a sign to a young maiden and it's actually a sign of judgment and says that sign has come again and it's the sign in his son, Emmanuel, God with us. Now listen, if you receive the sign, blessing. If you reject the sign, go read what happened to Ahaz. That's what Matthew's doing. It is to your peril to reject the sign of the one who has come via the virgin birth, Emmanuel, God with us. Receive him, life and blessing. And I want to tell you, we face a far, far more difficult enemy than Ahaz faced with with Syria and Ephraim. We face the alliance of sin and death. I call us today, receive Emmanuel, trust him. Do not make a deal with this world. Do not make an alliance with anyone that threatens you. Come underneath the rule and the reign of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. So, We've seen the dilemma, we've seen the defining moment. He goes from quietly divorcing her to suddenly he gets revelation, don't be afraid, you're of the royal line. Indeed, Mary is with child from the Holy Spirit, Jesus and Emmanuel. And then just read this next verse, verse 24. It's the decision. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. Don't you see? The revelation of the truth made all the difference. He changed. What he was going to do, he no longer did. Instead, he had moved to obey. Tell you a fun Bible fact. Joseph never speaks in the New Testament. You never hear him say a word. He is just simply, not perfect, but obedient. Joseph, flee to Egypt. Yes, you bet. Why? He had heard of the revelation of a miracle of God's provision in the womb of his wife. 
The revelation of God's truth through the miracle of the Son overtook him. And what did it lead to? Did it lead to quietly sending his wife away? Or did it lead to that simple obedience of I will honor you? And listen, at great cost. Joseph could not control the press. With his obedience, he put himself in place of shame. To engage in costly obedience in the face of an angry world requires an absolute conviction and submission to the revelation of God. And we don't have it in an angel. We have it right here. Are you listening? Are you open to the one revealed here, the Son, Jesus? Are you receiving? Has has the revelation of God shifted your life and made all the difference, a defining moment that leads to new decisions and costly obedience? Whose face do you live before? The face of the God who reveals himself in his word or, listen, the world may mock us. They may mock us today for believing in a miracle called the Incarnation. They may mock us for believing in the person and the work of Christ. Will we live by faith in what is revealed? I close with this thought. If Christmas for you is an annual tradition that has as much ongoing relevance in your life as a July the 4th fireworks show, you'll never obey him, especially with cost. But when you receive and believe in what God has revealed in his word to us about his son, Jesus, born of a virgin, you know what will become? Become like what Joseph became. More and more willing to lose for the sake of others. More and more willing to give generously. More and more willing to risk in our obedience because God said so. Do you see how utterly dependent you are this Christmas morning for God to reveal himself to you, for the work of the Holy Spirit, and for the work of Jesus to save us from our sin? Praise be to God. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Receive him. Let's pray. Thank you for coming down into our world of sin and misery because of our first parents and all of us who sin. Thank you for knowing the way out, a way that baffles us that you, the Son of God, would be born in a manger and go to a Roman cross that you might lift us up and out, rescued from our sins. Greater Joshua, Emmanuel, We worship you this day. Would you define our lives by your revelation? May we live by what you reveal in your word, not merely what we think. And may that submission to your revelation produce in us an obedience that is simple and submissive and costly and glad and generous. Please, will you do this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.